Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Romans, the Gospel for Sinners. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Romans chapter 15. Verses 22 through 33, hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. In Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him in prayer. Our gracious God, we confess to you that you are source of all light and that by your word, you give light to the soul. And so as your word has been read, we ask that you would pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding and that being taught by you in the preaching of Holy Scripture, our hearts and our minds might be opened to know the things that pertain to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In an era of digital media and so-called social media, some If not most Americans know politicians in Washington and actors in Hollywood better than their neighbor, if they know their neighbor at all. I mean, think about it. Our nights are now filled by gaping at glowing screens rather than front porch fellowship. Local involvement and civic participation have waned as digital counts for screen time have increased. We are now labeled consumers for a national economy rather than citizens of a local polity. We seem to be losing a love for local place and local neighbor in exchange for some kind of homogenized amusement. 
Well, the church is not immune to this trend. What used to be the center of Christian culture has become an obstacle to ongoing entertainment. I mean, think about it. Why invest yourself in a local church when your options for Christian consumption are so varied and plentiful? I mean, think about this, and this really hits home. Who wouldn't argue that the late R.C. Sproul's preaching is better than your preacher's preaching? I mean, I think it is. <laughs> and, and he's available on your device 24-7 from the comfort of your own home. What are you doing here? Why inconvenience yourself on Sundays by assembling with these so-called saints when there are so many superior and satisfying options? I mean, think about it. If, if you believe the gospel... If you own a Bible, if you subscribe to moral values, I mean, why bother with the local church? The answer may be found in how God made us and what He says to us. This is missing. This is missing today. By God's design, you and I were created to live in community with one another. And we were redeemed to live with each other in the fellowship of the local church. A churchless Christian is an oxymoron. It should not surprise us that the bulk and think with me, you students of Scripture, think about it. The bulk of the New Testament epistles were written to specific local churches. And then they were circulated to specific local churches. Circulated from there to specific local churches and so on. The encouragements given and the admonishments made were specific to local church Issues. See also the book of Romans. And while we can apply all of God's word to our own context, we can't ever take it out of its original context. The Christian life and the local church, as it were, are inseverable. So when Paul writes this, and these are beautiful words, I hope you picked up on it when I read this, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Once I've enjoyed your... Isn't that beautiful? It's just refreshing. I'm on my way to Spain, I hope, but I'm going to stop by and I'm going to spend some time because I really want to enjoy you. And, and you realize he's not using that figuratively. Right? I mean, he hoped to see the individual members of the Roman church. He hoped to be helped by them. Not in a sense, literally, he hoped to be helped by them. He hoped to enjoy their company in the close-quartered homes and the catacombs of first century Rome. Being with them personally mattered to Paul. A Zoom call would not do. 
<laughs> but the importance of the local church must never be a justification for what John Miller calls, quote, an ingrown local church, in which he says is the church, when the church is viewed as passive in its relationship to the world and in its own life. Practically speaking, Miller goes on to say, this often adds up to its becoming a religious cushion for the comfort of its shaky members rather than a commissioned church with a responsibility to do something to bring in the harvest of non-Christians from the field of the world. Well, we don't pick up on that in Romans, do we, at all? In fact, Paul is teaching the local church then and now how we are to live out our faith in our local context. I mean, if you think about it, if you rescue our sanity and our civilization from the digital culture of our age, there's really only one way to live, and that's locally. This is where you are. You are right here, which fun, seems funny to even emphasize. <laughs> but also, we are to think beyond ourselves, to have a heart for the lost, to have a zeal for gospel advancement, to live locally, but to serve globally. Christ commissioned His church this way. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Christ's commission to His church is very clear. We cannot become ingrown and we cannot disobey His command. So how do we live, as I'm putting it here, how do we live locally and serve globally? And I want to emphasize three themes in your passage today. That is that we are to be a church who is part of mobilizing missions, sending support, and serving as praying partners. Mobilizing men, missions, sending support, and being prayer partners. And let's start with this first, mobilizing missions. Paul, as he says, had been hindered from coming to Rome. As an apostle to the Gentiles, he was an evangelist to the nations, he was preaching, as he says in the previous passage, he was preaching the gospel from Jerusalem all the way around, he puts it, to Illyricum. So that what? Well, again, in the previous passage, he draws from the prophet saying, so that those who have never been told of him will see. So that those who have never heard of him will understand. Paul's missionary work was not complete until he says the ministry of the gospel of Christ was fulfilled. As our Lord said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And undoubtedly, the harvest was and is plentiful. But Paul had determined, and he doesn't say how he determined this, perhaps it was by direct revelation, perhaps it was by intuition, but what he had determined is that there was nothing more to keep him in 
quote, these regions, meaning the regions that he had been serving, the Gentile regions he had been serving up until this point. His sights turn where? His sights turn to Spain. But goals are not enough. Mobilizing missions requires help. Paul was not alone. He was not some sort of Christian living on an island. In this case, his help comes specifically from, as he asks, from the Roman church. Paul plans to come to Rome. He plans to stay a while and launch from Rome to Spain. As he says, in the fullness of the blessings of Christ probably referring to the blessings that he would impart to that local church, but also the blessings that he would receive from and through them. But what we witness in this passage, and what I want to draw to your attention, is this is a beautiful example of how Christ uses the local church in advancing the gospel to the nations. Few, if any, of the Roman Christians could do what Paul is doing. And, I don't want to argue from silence, but we have no record of any missionaries coming out of this particular local congregation. But Paul is called. And Paul is commissioned by the Jerusalem Council. And so through Paul, the church could participate in Christ's great commission. Through hosting Paul, through caring for his needs, giving financially to his work, and praying that the Lord of the harvest would deliver the gospel to those who have never been told, to those who have never heard, the church in Rome, and we as a church today, could vicariously share the gospel with the lost throughout the world. And this is as as applicable today as it was then. As we live locally, as I said, we need to guard against becoming ingrown. Merely a religious cushion for our own comforts. We are commissioned by Christ. And so that means that we are a commissioned church with the responsibility and the privilege of mobilizing missions. But I want you to think with me. If you are not involved in the local church, how can you serve with us globally? If you are not investing your money in the church, if you are not investing in the missions that we support, if you are not praying with us that the harvest will be brought in, if you're not only separating yourself in this, by separating yourself from the body of Christ, you're also separating yourself from Christ's commission and His command. And while it may sound counterintuitive, and by the way, this also is a message for the broader American evangelical Christian culture of our day, and that is this, is that while it may sound counterintuitive, serving globally starts locally. You're not going to hear that a lot today. Where there are missions organizations that would like for you to leapfrog over the church and send them their money. So one of the things that we've been wrestling with in our own denomination, in the PCA, is to say missions need to be connected to the local church. And I can assure you that the session of this church is making sure that we make our, our voice heard. Sometimes by not supporting 
denominational initiatives to say there has to be a connection to the local church. Missions cannot leapfrog the very thing that Christ commissioned. That is the church. Now, to get very personal, for this reason, in the coming months, we will be introducing, or in the case it may be, reintroducing to you missionaries that we support as a church, some old and some new. We encourage you to give, as I said earlier, tithes, faithfully, specific offerings when you can, as our giving as a church to missions is tied to our overall giving. And when we, we will also be circulating prayer cards as we receive them from our missionaries. And as they become available, we want you to use these prayer cards to pray specifically. And I've asked specifically that those prayer cards not have specific requests on them so that you may gain and seek out information about those missionaries, how you may pray for them consistently over and over again. So my prayer is, as Paul is teaching the church in Rome, that may God use us as a mobilizing missions church to fulfill the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ. But Paul doesn't stop there. The second thing that we see here is in addition to mobilizing missions, he is now emphasizing sending support. Sending support. Proverbs says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Where was Paul's heart set? It was set on Spain, wasn't it? That was his plan. But the Lord was directing his steps to Jerusalem. There, the Jewish Christians were suffering from persecution at the hands of the Jews. The Christians in Jerusalem were ostracized from Jewish society. They were culturally condemned for Christ's sake, and they needed help. Scholars tell us it was help on a number of levels, but most certainly because they were struggling to feed themselves. They needed financial support. And so Paul began a collection campaign, so to speak, from the churches in Macedonia and Achaia. Likely in this, he's referring to the churches at Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and Corinth, but there also could have been other churches as well. But what we see here is more than a campaign, isn't it? Paul says, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. And as you read that, as it's translated here in the ESV, it doesn't jump out at you. But that Greek word, verb, translated bringing aid, is the verb form of the noun translated servant, or diakonos, the Greek word translated deacon, one who serves the church. In other words, on behalf of other local churches, Paul is taking tangible relief to those suffering in Jerusalem, revealing the local church's love for their brothers and sisters elsewhere. Paul isn't merely fundraising. What I mean by that is, is he's wanting the Roman Christians to be invested in what Paul is doing in taking aid to Jerusalem. And then to this, and I find this so fascinating, Paul includes the point of gratitude. The point of gratitude. The churches in Macedonia, the churches in Achaia, were not only 
pleased to send support, but they were sending support to needy Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And Paul says, they owe it to them. Doesn't that jump out at you? You think, that doesn't sound very gospel-like. That they owe it to them? What does Paul mean by that? Well, what he's doing is, is he is emphasizing the need for gratitude. Paul points them back to the spiritual blessings that came through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, namely who? Christ Himself. As the churches made up primarily of Gentiles were recipients of God's grace through whom? The Jewish Messiah. So they owe, we would use in our terms, a debt of gratitude to those in Jerusalem. And in a sense, I think about this, every Christian is the recipient of someone else's endeavor by God's grace. Gratitude for this grace, then, is indeed and is always a Christian virtue. We often think of sending support from the local church, and rightly so, as supporting evangelism pertaining to reaching, in modern missions terminology, unreached people groups. But sometimes, hurricanes happen. Sometimes, tornadoes turn up. Sometimes, floods flow in, and with them, devastation, right? Sometimes, persecution leaves our brothers and our sisters in persecuted churches without the means to live safely or to even survive. Yes, to be clear, we should invest in advancing the gospel to unreached peoples. But we should also remember our brethren in need. And this is why living locally, that is investing yourself in the local church, is so important so that we can come together, so that we together can learn of the needs. And maybe there are needs that are fairly close to us. Maybe there are needs that are across the world. Whatever the case, in the local church, we come together to see how we may help those who are in need. But the third theme that I want us to consider in this passage, and it's one that's so often overlooked, is being praying partners. And so often, I think that we think of prayer as passive. But it's not. Prayer is active. Prayer is our active involvement in the context of missions, our active participation in missions. I mean, think about it this way. In... uh, John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad, uh, he says there uh, that prayer is like a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. A prayer is essential to missions. He goes on to say prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of a limitless provider. And so the one who gives the power gets the glory. But he goes on to say, this way, prayer safeguards the supremacy of God in missions while linking us with endless grace for every need. 
That was his point there. Well, his point is that prayer in the local church plays a primary role in mobilizing missions and in sending support. In fact, my point is, in looking at these three themes in this passage, is to show you that they all fit together, and they all fit together as they are undergirded by prayer. We are active participants in evangelism. We are active participants in mercy ministry as we, and I love this expression, I love the way it's translated in the ESV, as we strive together in prayer. How many of us think of our praying together as a local church as striving? Well, we do. We're working together. We're striving together in prayer. We are interceding for our brothers and sisters' behalf, which includes a knowledge of their needs. Paul tells the church in Rome about Spain, his plans for Jerusalem, and then specifically, he asks them to pray this, quote, that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's grace I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Did you catch that? Those are three prayer requests, very specific, that Paul makes to the church. And if anything here, Paul knows he is going into a difficult place at a difficult time. Now I think about at our General Assembly this year, the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America. And I think about all the information that was circling uh, through the, the media and so forth on the war in Ukraine. And at General Assembly, we got to, to hear a video presentation of one of the missionaries in the Ukraine who refused to leave the country when war broke out. And if I remember correctly, John will have to help me, I believe his family also decided that they were going to stay with him as well. He was encouraging them to leave. They said, no way, we're here. And one of the things that was so beautiful about this account is it wasn't through the filter of choose your favorite news media. It was straight from the missionary. And in many ways, he didn't necessarily contradict what the media is spinning, but what he did was he got right to the point. This is what's happening to the glory of God for the advancement of the gospel in the local church in the Ukraine. And it is, and I'm not exaggerating, it is a beautiful thing. I don't mean that death is a beautiful thing. I don't mean that destruction is a beautiful thing. But to see our sovereign God, who, as Greg prayed, who reigns over all, how He accomplishes the advancement of His gospel to the nations, that is a beautiful thing. And so Paul, he knows this. He knows that he is to ask for the church to pray. And so we are to pray. And he's very specific in how he asks them to pray for them. He says, I want you to pray for my deliverance. I'm going to a tough place at a tough time. He prays for the acceptance. He's taking these goods to the poor in Jerusalem, those who are suffering, and he wants them to rejoice in it. And he hopes to visit the church in Rome, to stay for a while in the Lord's provision of joy and to be refreshed. And so he asks 
for all of this deliverance and acceptance and sustenance, all of this through the prayers of the people as they petition the Lord on His behalf. Now, you know, by studying your scriptures, you know that if you connect Paul's prayer request with the book of Acts and bring those together, you know that Paul's prayers were answered, but not how you and I would think that they were answered. Let me explain. When Paul gets to Jerusalem, we presume that he takes the aid and that it is accepted, but when he gets to Jerusalem, he is arrested by those unbelievers. And yet... His request that the church pray for his deliverance was answered because he was delivered, you remember the account, by a Roman tribune who rescued Paul from being murdered, perhaps executed on the spot. And so he was, in fact, delivered. The other request that Paul makes to the church at Rome is he said that I might come to you. Did Paul make it to Rome? (laughs) He did. In chains. And yet, when we read the account in Acts, we find that he did, in fact, arrive there with joy. And we find that he was refreshed by their company. And so the Lord answered the church's prayers. As Paul prayed for the church's peace, so he knew peace, and he knew it even in prison. Our sovereign God works out his plans according to his will. And yet, brothers and sisters, in his love for us, he includes us. He includes us and our prayers in this mysterious work of his sovereign reigning will. He includes our prayers. Yes, God works through the prayers of the local church. Who knows the impact that your prayers may have on the advancement of the gospel around the world. Well, God knows. And He tells us to pray. So, brothers and sisters of this local church, let us live out our faith together. But let us not forget that we have been commissioned to go to the nations, knowing that we are not passive, but active participants in the Great Commission with our brothers and sisters around the world, striving together with them in prayer as we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, Oh, how we thank you for the relevance of your word. For as we have looked at this passage in its context today, we could simply just leave it there. As if Paul is giving a passing point and encouragement and prayer request to the church at Rome. And yet you have so graciously, by the power of your Holy Spirit, included us in this to see that we are to be a mobilizing missions church, that we are to be a church who is faithful to send help where it is needed, and that we are to be a praying people. Oh God, help us to be a praying church. We pray that you would bless the missionaries that we support. We pray that you would advance your gospel so also that your word be faithfully preached in your churches around the world, so that your sacraments are rightly administered to the saints, 
that as our brothers and sisters around the world pray, so also we pray with them. And so we conclude, as do they. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.